Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. Praise God, praise God forever, amen. You know, when you were listening to that scripture a moment ago, it probably should resonate to you as it should to all believers. God is speaking to a church that has become a bit apathetic. An apathy you don't ever want to set into your life. Now, there's something that's significant within the course of that uh, passage of Scripture that Sister Bell read a moment ago. And in that, it shares with us that I call them the three R's. Three R's that you have to deal with when it comes to apathy, when it comes to, uh, you know, getting to that point where uh, it doesn't matter. You don't care. It doesn't move you. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't stir you anymore. And there are people who get to that place with the things of God. I don't ever want to get there. I pray that you don't ever want to be at a place like that. But the three R's for apathy that I found in that passage of Scripture was that God says he will refine you. God says he will refine you. There are times where you need to be refined, and I don't know if you, I think about some of the synonyms of refine. Refine means to purify. Refine means to clarify, to make clear, to cleanse. There's a time in our lives that we need to be cleansed. We just need to be cleansed. We need to see things more clearly than we have been seeing because sometimes we get in a fog. We get into what the world is doing and what the world and how the world is going. And God is saying, I need you to get your eyes back on me. How many of you know that your eyes need to stay fixed on God? The the second of those R's that I found in that scripture is that God says, I will rebuke. And there are times where we all need to be rebuked by the Lord. Rebuking is just an express sharp criticism in relationship to one's behavior or actions. There are some times that the word comes to us very sharp, doesn't it? The Bible says it's like a two-edged sword and it cuts. And there are things that you realize that starts to grow in your life that it's not going to come out of your life until it's cut out. And that's what the word is designed to do, is to cut some things from us, to separate us, to, as it were, to give us a circumcision, a cutting away. And there is this need for us to cut away. The Bible says you cannot follow the pattern of the world. You cannot think that being in this world that you can be of this world. The Bible says we're in it, but we can't be of it. The Bible talks to us about being separate, being cut uh, apart, being a peculiar people. And then thirdly, after God says refine, he also speaks to us about rebuke. But he also says thirdly, you need to repent. When you look, and we just read about one of those seven churches that's in this book of Revelation, every one of them were told, repent. Repent. I believe that God speaks to each one of our hearts every day about there's something in our lives that perhaps we are becoming overly comfortable with apathy. When you become, apathy sets in, you're comfortable with it. And God doesn't ever want us to be comfortable with any area of sin. 
He wants you to be repentant. And that's a sincere regret. That's true remorse. How many of you ever heard people stand up and say, well, I apologize, and you know they weren't serious at all. No remorse at all. No brokenness. The Bible says you, you, we come to God with a broken and a contrite heart. We can all sense it. We all know it. We all recognize it when somebody is truly not repentant. How many of you have ever, when you were growing up as a kid, maybe your older brother or older sister did something to you and your mom and dad caught him and said, apologize. I, I'm talking about my older brother now. His name is Wallace, but he's gone home to be with the Lord. And if you're hearing me from heaven, I'm telling on you. And, and he would say, I'm sorry, but he'd have his fist like, I'm going to get you as soon as mama leaves. So that sometimes that people are not remorseful. But God's talking about that place where you're so remorseful that you have a plan of action never to go back to that place again. That's what repentance is about. When you truly repent, you're, you're not... You're not just at the point where, I'm sorry I got caught. And that's where a lot of people are. I'm sorry I got caught. That, that's not what repentance is. Repentance, see, some people when they get caught, they'll say, well, I apologize, and yada, yada, yada. But repentance is where there is something in your heart that says where you've been, what you've done, how you've acted is wrong. It's wrong in heaven. It's wrong here on the earth. And you need to repent and turn. And you, 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 you feel broken. And I believe God wants us to feel that brokenness so that we don't become in a place of apathy. A place of apathy. You and I are living in a time, church, where we're all busy. And it, became, it can easily become a place of apathy about prayer, about study of the word. We can say, well, I'm too busy. And I, I, I titled this message, you're too busy not to pray. You're too busy not to get into the word. The things that you're facing and the things that are coming at the world today, folks, you're going to have to pray. I don't think it's even safe to walk out of your house without having a moment of saying to God, would you order my steps now, Lord? Would you set my conversation aright? Would you take me down the right path, the right streets? Keep me from the harm. There is harm awaiting you. There is death awaiting you. There is sickness and a disease awaiting you. And we are too busy not to pray. People are demanding more of you these days. They're demanding more of your hours at work. They're demanding more of your time to do this and to do that. And God is saying, but you need to take some time and get into my presence. Because in your presence, God, he has told us that's where the fullness of the joy is going to be. Don't slip into a place of apathy. Don't tell me I'm too busy now, Pastor. There are times where people will say, oh, well, I, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. I'm telling you, God is trying to help you to understand that the devil wants you to be in that kind of place where you are okay, apathetic about putting it off. But you can't, and I'm telling you, you shouldn't put things off. There are too many people laying in the morgue this morning that put some things off. 
The Winans had a song years ago, and it was entitled Tomorrow. Tomorrow. But it's time to be saved today. It's time to be filled with the Holy Ghost today. It's time to pray today. It's time to get in God's Word today. That's why it says today when you hear His voice. Don't harden your heart. You know, we've heard the expression that there are three kinds of people, and, and they say these are the people who make things happen, the people who watch things happen, and the third category, the people who say what happened. Be a part of that kind of people that make things happen. Don't just sit around and watch things happen. Be a part of it. You know, we are on the eve now, albeit that this young man, Martin Luther King Jr., well, he's not a young man now, and if we can count the age, born in, what, April 15, 1929. Can you imagine? I'm so glad that every time I look at the pictures of Martin Luther King Jr., I see a young man. That's how I see him. Though I know time is moving with swift transition. But yet, I see this young man, and you know, I, I've shared this with you before, and you can find that even if you Google. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King wasn't born with the name Martin Luther King. His father was named Michael. He was named Michael Jr. It was only when his father had this encounter by reading about Martin Luther and the Reformation that took place, and he believed that his son and even himself should be change makers, and he changed his child's name to Martin. And we know him today as MLK or Martin Luther King Jr., but his given name was Michael. Went to the records, uh, to the court, changed that name, and he became Martin Luther King. Young, brilliant young man. Most of us know him as a very articulate. At the age of 15, he was already in college because he skipped the ninth grade, and they moved him to the tenth grade. Then they realized that when he was in the tenth grade, they just moved him from, skipped the eleventh grade, and went on to the twelfth grade. And at the age of 15, he was already at Morehouse College. At the age of 14, interestingly enough, it is alleged that he tried to commit suicide. He had disobeyed his mom and his dad. He went down to a parade in Atlanta somewhere. They were having the parade. And then he went, in the midst of him being disobedient at the parade, someone very close to him died, his grandmother. And when he heard about it, he jumped out of the second-story window, so distraught and so upset about it. He came to a point in his life, even as he went into Morehouse College, this thing about God, I'm not sure I believe it. That's where Martin Luther King Jr. was at that age. And even that young, being in college, he said, I don't think I, I, I believe this. It just seems too emotional. People, see, what happened here today, some people say, that's just too emotional. I ain't got time for all that emotion. I'm too busy for all of that singing, all of that so-called praising. And he thought it was just an emotional thing. He'd come from a line of preachers. His father was a preacher. His grandfather was a preacher. He decided, I'm not going to be a preacher. 
And in his early freshman years, sophomore years, he looked more toward law and medicine. But it was B that he would come in contact with a man by the name of Benjamin Mays at Morehouse College. And Benjamin was a preacher and a, and a professor, and, 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 and he was radical for his day because Benjamin Mays began to say to the church, you are too focused on the by and by and not enough focus on the now and now. And, and, and Martin it, it caused his ears to kind of pierce and, 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 and pick up, and he began to listen, and he began to realize that there was something greater than perhaps what he has heard from mom and dad. And he began to start reading that word, and he began to start seeing some things. And then he would graduate from Morehouse College, and he would go to a little place in Pennsylvania called Chester, Pennsylvania. Anybody been there? We'd go to a university called Crozier University, continue now in the study of ministry. He would come in contact with teachings on Kant and Gandhi and other uh, movements that spoke of nonviolence, that people can get some things done without guns and riots and mobs. What we experienced just a few weeks ago. He said, there can be things. You, you should stand up. You should speak out. But you don't have to do it by hurting someone, harming someone, destroying property, destroying people's lives. And so he would go on from Crozier in the School of Theology to Boston University where he would get his doctorate's degree. And then he would go from there, a young man, early 20s now, and be called to pastor a church down in Alabama. And this is where Martin would come into contact with a group of people that would ask him to stand up on behalf of a lady by the name of Rosa Parks. He was at a church called Dexter. And there they had heard about a woman who was tired and had a hard days of work, who paid bus fare, got onto a bus, sat down in a seat, went just a few stops, and a white gentleman gets on the, 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 the some people say I might not want to use the word gentleman, but a white individual gets on the bus, a male, and he looks at her, Rosa Parks, and says, get up and go to the back of the bus. Tired, worn, weary. She said, I'm not getting up. This would become the boycott. See, look, folks, you ought to know how to manage your resources. Sometimes we take a lot of stuff off of a lot of people, and we shouldn't. You know why they do it? Because you keep spending your dollars there. There have been people who don't even want you to wear their little name brand clothes, and you keep buying them. Don't understand that they're saying, I will take your dollar, but I don't want nothing to do with you. And so a group of people said, we're not going to ride the bus. 
We're not going to ride the bus, not have to pay the same price that everybody's paying and cannot sit down, have to go and stand at the back of the bus. We're not going to take it anymore. How many know sometimes you have to stand up and you have to speak up and you don't have to do it violently? And so they stood up. They went to churches, and not only Dexter Baptist Church, but they went to many of the churches, and they began to encourage the people, help one another. Look at your neighbor and say, help one another. You've got to help one another. And what they said to us, look, we know you need to keep going to work. We know you need to keep doing what you do to provide for your family, but you don't have to ride that bus. And some people thought, well, how am I going to get to work? How am I going to make it? And they looked at each one another and said, if you've got a car, go pick up somebody. How many of you realize that if you've got a car, you need to pick up somebody and bring them to the house of the Lord? You need to pick them up and take them to grocery shopping sometime. You've got to help one another. And they began to help one another. They began to drive, and yes, they had to go an extra mile. But I don't know if you've been reading your Bible. My Bible tells me every now and then God requires you to go an extra mile. It's called service. It's called service. God requires me to do a little extra for my neighbor. Some people used to laugh at me, and they say, why did pastor cut so many lawns? My wife would come out and just bring me cold iced tea or water sometimes. Does she realize I've gone up and down my street and probably have cut five or six yards? Yes, I was pastoring too. This is not before pastoring. This is during pastoring. Your, your, your call, the call of God in your life is to stand up and to stand out. This is why it's, it's important for you not to take tomorrow just another federal holiday. I believe that it was intended. I believe that Martin Luther King was a prophet of his times. I believe that there was something divine on his life. I believe there was a divine time that God had set for him to make a difference and to help others to get inspired to make a difference. That's why when you celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday, they are trying to encourage you, do it by service. Don't just say, I'm going to eat and put an extra hot dog on the, the grill and I'm going to just sit back and kick back and enjoy a day out from work. No, get up. Get out. Serve somewhere. I'm encouraging you, serve somewhere. Come here and serve. Go somewhere and serve. Serve a neighbor, but don't just sit because I think we do a disservice to a man who gave his life. You know, we were singing a song, and I don't know if Whitney understood why she was so moved to sing. I give myself away. I give myself away, Lord, so that you can use me in your service. I don't know if she knew what was burning in my spirit at the time because I hadn't talked to her about it. But we need to give ourselves. I don't know if Chris, as he began to strum on that guitar, could understand why the Spirit of God was moving him in that channel. That we were like Jesus saying, Abba, Father. And Jesus was giving it all at that moment. Do you realize? He was giving it all. He's on Calvary. He's on the cross and crying out, Abba, Father. How I many of you know we belong to Jesus? 
I am not my own. Like Ginka was encouraging, we've been bought with a price. Martin Luther King, a servant of God, not greater than Jesus, but a great man. He gave himself away. He literally gave himself away so that God could use him. And God used him in a mighty way. God used him in a powerful way. And he was a man who was busy. He met his wife, Coretta, while he was at Boston University. She was there at a neighboring school in a school of arts. She was a pianist. Four children. And still a heavy call on his life to serve. And some of us say, well, I can't do this because of the children. I think it's giving you a cause when you do have children. Because how will it be for them? If you think it's rough now, how do you think it will be for them? Every generation, it ought to get better. I can remember times, and that's why I look at young people, and I think somebody, sometimes we've got to go back and talk about things just like this. Because you think it's, oh, folks, I couldn't go into the front door of a restaurant. I grew up in that era. I grew up in the South. See, Martin Luther King would go to Connecticut and he would get some kind of sense that it doesn't have to be this way. He went to Connecticut to work as a child. He was now 16 years old when he did that. And you know what he did? My wife used this term, he cropped tobacco in Connecticut. But what he found that he could do in Connecticut, he couldn't do it in Atlanta. He could go through and buy something in a store. You know, I, I, I think about a time in Montgomery, Alabama, where on a Sunday morning, the ushers, all white, came out and stood on the steps of their church, arms locked together, below on the ground level, where Four to five black men, all dressed, every one of them dressed in suits, pretty much like me today, dressed in suits, dressed in ties, and all they wanted to do was come into the church. And these four ushers were locked and determined that they wouldn't. And one of the young black men started to make his way up to the steps, and one of the white men disconnected from that group that he was locked on with, came down and with his fist hit that young man squarely in his face. And he went tumbling back down the steps. And amazingly, inside, the congregation was singing a song about love abides. See, folks, you can't just give lip service. Anybody here in what I'm preaching this morning, you cannot just give lip service. That's why the Bible says, your lips are saying this and praising me, but your heart is far from it. You, it this is something where your lips and your heart have to link up. Love, and God's love is no respect of persons. 
God's love reaches all. John 3.16 tells us that God's love came down here for all. This is why Paul, when he got a hold of a revelation of who Jesus was, he says, I became all things to all people that I might win some. So you can't just say, I'm a black man preaching a black message. I'm a white man preaching a white message. You've got to be a God man, a God woman, and you've got to also be like Jesus. You love the world. You reach toward the world. You reach toward everyone. Whosoever will, somebody say that, whosoever will, is anybody left out when you think about it like that? God leaves nobody out, and you and I, in our love, and our cry toward justice and freedom, you cannot leave anyone out. God says, if you'll trust him, I'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. This is why Martin would say, you cannot confront what we are confronting in the world with violence. You cannot. You won't win that way. You won't be successful that way. And you won't please God if that's the way that you want to go in life. Amen? If you ever want to be great in the eyes of God, then you'll have to learn to live a life of service. Anybody want to be great in the eyes of God? The Bible says he who would be first, then let him be last. Because the last is always serving. This is why when you think about Jesus, you think about Jesus. He is in a room that we call the upper room. He is uh, serving a meal that we call the Lord's Supper. You realize that everybody's sitting at the table now. Nobody is wanting to be the servant the foot washing hadn't taken place. And you know when you come into a house, there was somebody that needed to bow down. How many of you are willing to bow down? See, we're, we're, we're too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to serve. It requires service now. It requires prayer now. It requires a humbling now. This is why you hear from that passage of scriptures, the parallel gospels show that Jesus took a towel and girded himself and knelt down and began to wash their feet. Some theologian thought that that meant that that was a sacrament. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with washing feet and having foot washing services. I've had a few here at Rainbow. And I can look around sometimes and say, I've washed some feet, only to see those feet walk away. It's a humbling thing. But if the Lord said, do it again, I'd do it again. I don't care what quagmire you have walked in, I would still wash your feet. And that's, 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 when you have the love of God, when you have the heart of God, when you have the mind of Christ, you've got to move in circles like that where it's about Jesus, it's less and less about you and more and more about him. The Bible tells you and I, in order to live this life of service that Jesus has called us to, you're going to have to decrease. He must increase. When God is increasing in your life, I'm telling you, you realize that love is what melts a multitude of sin. You love your neighbor as yourself. You love God. With all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. You love God so much that sometimes, yes, you feel tired. I got up, there was a song in my spirit. 
Pat came in a few uh, uh, moments later after I had been here for a while. And I was still playing it, playing it from several different versions. And I thank God for YouTube from time to time. And the song is, I didn't even know I knew it. Trouble in my way. I have to cry sometime. Trouble in my way. But the, 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 the chorus of it says, but Jesus will fix it. Jesus will fix it. Whenever there is trouble, Jesus will fix it. Whenever there's a trial, Jesus will fix it. Whenever there is a push against you, Jesus will fix it. Jesus will fix it. So I, I, I went through and I, I listened to probably at least 10 versions of that song this morning. Jesus will fix it. Jesus will fix it. I'm telling you, I, I listened to Shirley Caesar. Jesus will fix it. I, I, I listened to Al Green. Jesus will fix it. And the Lord knows he needed something to be fixed. But Jesus fixed it. Jesus fixed it. And I don't know if you know that if you're in a time of trouble, you've got to look to the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus will fix it. You can't look to a political party. I talked a lot about that a lot last week. You cannot be looking to a political party. You cannot be trying to influence people toward a political party. Our focus is to help people to see Jesus. And when people can see Jesus high and lifted up, his train filling the temple, all eyes will turn. Sometimes I think people are they're focused on being a star, being this, being that, being recognized. But do you know that God is not looking for more stars? God is looking for more servants. God's looking for more servants. You know, in Luke 22, as a matter of fact, why don't you turn there real quick. Luke chapter 22. And verses 25 through 27, and I'm going to ask for your assistance in the back there to put those up on the screen for me as quickly as far as possible. Luke chapter 22, and I want to start at verse number 25 and read down through verse number 27. God is looking for servants. In the beginning in verse 25, it says, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship. They exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not, verse 26, but not so among you on the contrary. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs, as he who serves. Wouldn't that be great if that's what our government looked like right now? For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet, I am among you as the one who serves. Let me realize that Jesus came down from heaven. Jesus left all of his majesty, the throne, 
He brought heaven down to you and I. And God is trying to show us in the days, and I believe that through the life of a man named Martin Luther King Jr., God was trying to show us this is what will happen when you give your life to service. When you give your life to service. Serving God. Forgetting about yourself and learning how to concentrate on him. And just worshiping. Serving. Glorifying. Magnifying God. There are two Old Testament scriptures that I went through in the course of uh, this week. Esther chapter 4 was one of those uh, passages that I found myself in. Esther chapter 4. And you know what was happening with Esther. The young Jewish maiden had only recently been selected by King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to become a part of his court. And she had an uncle by the name of Mordecai. You remember him? And Mordecai would stay out there on the wall doing what? Praying. Folks, this is why I'm trying to encourage you. Some of you don't see the necessity. It's beginning to be an apathy for you. Prayer, you know the post-it times. You can go out on the website and find the post-it time, but you are not making time to be there. You know when the Bible studies are happening. They're Zooming, but you are not making time to get there. You make time for a stupid football game. And you spend hours, literally four to five hours, fixated on people running up and down a field. And I call it a bunch of millionaires playing a game. But the game of life? No time. No time. Some of us are sitting here today. You haven't been on a Bible study in a long time. You haven't been in a prayer meeting in a long time. And God's saying, why? Martin Luther King had to deal with people, and I remember him coming to our little small town and having to deal with people who had become apathetic. I remember them coming with sign and men and encouraging men to put the sign on it. It was kind of like when you see people out there advertising for some type of business. It's one of those A-frame type of sign. And the sign simply said, I am a man. I've shared with you how when I was dealing with my father, I had become an adult and had watching, being more observant of my father while he was living. And he had come here. And this was a time when the church first began. And at the time, we had an associate pastor. His name was Doug Matthews. And Doug, by ethnicity, was a, a white man. And my dad was looking, and he says, you, you have a white associate pastor? And I said, yeah, dad, a brother in the Lord. And, but here's the thing. When my dad met Doug, he dropped his head. I noticed it. I think Doug noticed it. I didn't say anything about it. We were there at that time, 12146 Tech Road. There was a store at the time that was open. It was called Heckinger's. Anybody remember John Heckinger? And, and so we, we went into Heckinger's to purchase some things. And I noticed it again. As soon as my father was having an encounter with a man who was white, he dropped his head. 
It would be later that day that I would then confront my own father and say, what's this, Dad? Why, 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 why are you dropping your head? And, and he had to say to me, he said, son, I didn't even realize it. But I grew up in an era that if you looked a white man in the eye, you would be knocked to the ground. He said, so I'm doing it and not even realize that I'm doing it. Folks, I don't know if you know your grandparents and your great-grandparents came out of great oppression. I'm thankful for where we are, but how many of you know we got a long way to go? This is why you cannot stop praying. This is why you cannot stop getting into your word. This is why it was important, I believe, for a transition to happen for a young man named Martin Luther King. So that, because when he started to become apathetic and saying, I don't believe that this God thing. I believe that God had to accelerate him. And initiate something in him that would help to start changing the world. And I believe that when God is doing something in our lives, he's trying to get us to be at accelerated paces. Not lacking behind. Not lagging behind. God is trying to get you this morning to realize that he wants you to pick up your pace. You've got a race to run. How many of you have seen people walk the race? God calls us to run this race. Run this race, and there's a race that's set before, and you've got to pick up the pace, and that's what the Spirit of the Lord kept quickening me. Pick up the pace. That's what I did with Martin. I caused him to pick up the pace. I don't think that Martin would ever have said, I, I see my life gone after 39 years. But God was showing him that you've got a short period of time, and I need you to get something done. I don't know about you. I sense that a lot about my own life. And there are things that we've got to get done. And God's saying now. It is not about the by and by. It is about the now and now. That God is saying to us, stand up, speak up. Speak out what I put in you. Everything that goes in you, do you, know, do you not know that it comes out of you? So if the word is going, we ain't going to go to those other places you were thinking. But if the word goes in you, the word got to come back out of you. This is why God says, and I will refine it. I will refine it in you. See, gold. Anybody got some gold on this morning? You want to share some of it with me? Gold, true gold, good gold, pure gold has been refined. It's been put into the furnace. There are some things that God may, as it were, put you into the furnace. I don't know if you've been reading your Bible, but there were some men who went into a furnace. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. I know traditionally you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I'm telling you, that's not the way they were trying to go with those names. They had names. They had given name: Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And the king wanted them to bow down to something, an image that he had made of gold. And they said, we're not bowing down to your gold image. See, this was the second passage of Scripture that I was reading. Esther was chapter 4, Daniel, chapter 1 through 4. And they said, we're not going to bow down. He says, we're going to put you in the furnace. He says, look, 
even if you didn't put us in the furnace, we were never going to bow down. How many of you realize that you can't bow down to the world, to the, the, the gods of this world, to the things of this world, the idolatry of this world? You will only bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what happened. They went into the furnace. Daniel himself went into the lion's den. Somebody say, Jesus will fix it. When you found the young men down into the furnace, you found that what? You found a fourth man in the furnace. When Daniel went into the lion den, we realized that God must have just shut the mouth of the lion. Because Daniel didn't come out with any bite marks. I believe that Daniel pretty much laid down and said, man, this is a nice blanket. Keeps you pretty warm at night. Because that's how our God watches over us. That's how our God protects us. He says, I will surround you with my favor like a shield. He's looking for people who will stand up and speak up. Too many of us are just standing around and being silent. God says, lift your voice. Lift your voice. You know that Martin Luther King courageously stood up at the right time. And I believe it's the right time for the body of Christ now. King was a man of his time, and he was a man for his times. You need to be men and women of your time and for the times. Esther would say, Mordecai rather, would say to Esther, for such a time as this were you born into the kingdom of God. You remember that es Mordecai warned Esther, I see apathy in you. Come on. Esther is getting the finest of oils. Esther's got maids and servants literally bathing her and doing things for her. And, 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 and Mordecai is out there just praying in danger every day. He says, you don't realize you're not up in here to become Apathetic. Folks, God hasn't blessed us like he's blessed us. He hasn't kept us like he's kept us so that we could become overcomfortable. As I was about to say earlier, folks, I couldn't go into the front door of a restaurant in my little town. I knew everybody that was cooking, you know. We had to go to the back door. If you were going to get food, they gave it to you in a brown paper bag out of the back door, but took the same amount of money of the people who went in the front door and could sit down. Martin Luther King would get arrested and literally be put into a federal prison at one time in Atlanta, Georgia, because he and a few friends went down to what was in department stores that had counters on in them. Woolworth was one of the ones that you famously know down in Greenville, Jesse Jackson and others at that time getting arrested for just going in and sitting down to the counter and picking up a menu. But I grew up in an era where you couldn't go in. You didn't pick up a menu. And so when I see kids go in and are casual and do not know their history, 
Do not know the suffering. Do not know the violence. Do not know the turmoil that people went through. Do not know how many times your grandmother and your grandfather were on their knees in a church, sometimes afraid. I remember when they came to our little small church, most of the men were just afraid. They knew that the KKK was looking for anybody that came and that was trying to be encouraging people to be part of a movement of change called the Civil Rights. And for us who have gone through it, if you stay silent, something is wrong. You're going to have to stand up. And on Martin Luther King Day, I think you got to take your children through history. They just see nothing but I have a dream. That's important. But there's also one time when Martin stood in the pulpit and said, how long? And the echo would always come back, not long. How long will injustice have its way? Not long. How long will the wicked be in position where they rule with iron-clad fists over righteous people? Not long. How long will you be underpaid? How long will you be misused? Not long. Not if you pursue God. Not if you pursue what God tells you to pursue. It won't be long. And soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, you will realize my labor, your labor, our labor was not in vain. That's why every now and then, when you get a little mocking, it helps you. Nobody has mocked you lately. Maybe you need to stand up and speak up. Because if the devil is not trying to get somebody to mock you, you are not saying anything for them to mock. You're not doing anything that they would mock. I remember when Martin Luther King was arrested. They kept him in prison because they said it was a, a traffic violation that he had. But they beat him, incarcerated him. And it took some people, likewise, to stand up and speak out about the injustice that he was facing in that particular case, so that he could get out. Do you realize that when you stand up and speak out, people get out? They get translated out of the darkness. The Bible says, over into the marvelous light. Amen? Yeah, I lived in the South, folks. I lived in the South, and I saw a lot of injustice. That's why I mentioned what happened in Alabama where ushers in a church were knocking a man down the steps. A congregation singing love divine, love excelling. Love God's love is divine. God's love will excel when it's truly the love of God. think about this young man. December 1st, 1955. Going as a young pastor and standing up on behalf of this lady, Rosa Parks. 
And yes, it jettisoned him into a national spotlight. 26 years old he was at that time. Some of you, you're that age now. And some of us are well beyond that age. But God is saying it's not too late. It's a time where every man and woman of God has to stand up and speak up and let it be known. I belong to him. In him I live. In him I move. In him I have my being. What can stand and who can stand against our God? What weapon form would be able to prosper? When we're with our God. A year later, Martin Luther King would leave that particular area in, he would return home to be associate pastor with his dad in Atlanta, Georgia, 1957. And, you know, I don't know if you know, Martin Luther King wasn't a very tall person. He was only five foot seven. They would always say that he had a broad chest, but he was small in his stature. How many of you are 5'7 here today? You, anybody in here 5'7? You're taller than that, huh? I, I'm 5'11. So if you can imagine 5'11, my height, and a man 5'7, it wasn't. See, you don't have to, folks, the, the, the point that I'm making about this, you don't have to be tall in stature, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have the right verb and subject agreement. What you've got to have is a willingness to serve. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. God can use you. God will use you. But you've got to say, as we were saying in that song, I give myself away so that you can use me, God, so that you can use me. In 1957, it was Martin Luther King would then get involved with what was called the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And he would become very outspoken and, and very um, charismatic. And, 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 and two years later, we see him just helping to organize a lot of what we call peaceful demonstrations. Everybody say peaceful. See, I, I'm not, I have nothing against people demonstrating as long as it's peaceful. But when you get to knocking out windows, when you get to looting and rioting and hurting people, that's no longer a demonstration. That's a mob. That's chaos. That's confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. Atlanta in 1960, he would go. Albany in 1961. Birmingham in 1963. Going down and helping to pave the way in St. Augustine, Florida in 1964. And then all of us remember the Pettus Bridge in 1965. That's hard for me to watch. Because when we talk about Selma, some of you may not have ever, you may have flipped the channels when they were talking about uh, going across the Pettus Bridge. But here's what I'm going to describe to you about the Pettus Bridge on that day. 
There's a group of people who are going to come into Selma, Alabama, across this bridge, and they are told, you, you can't come. You aren't welcome. And so at the bottom of the bridge are horses, mounted police, dogs, several police officers, and what would not be the apparel of the riot police, but they were riot police. And there's a group of people, some black, some white, joining hands and singing a song, We Shall Overcome. And all of a sudden, they were given an order by a very racist police chief, Jim Clark, I believe is his name. And they would spur the horses. When I say spur the horses, I mean you poke the horse in the side and the horse takes off in a gallop. Folks, you can imagine the impact of another human being hitting a human being, but imagine the impact of a horse hitting a human being. Imagine the impact of a dog leaping and grabbing you by your feet, your ankles, your arms, your face, your ears. Imagine the wailing and the, 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 the constant wailing of sticks, heavy police sticks, all because people wanted to cross over a bridge and come into a city. You think that is hard to pray? You think it's hard to get up and get involved in a Bible study? You think it's too much to ask? You think it's too much to ask on Martin Luther King Day to give that day as a day of service? No, that's my sleep-in day, late-day prayer. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is telling you. You know what the Spirit, here's what the Scripture says. He who knoweth to do good and doeth not is really a sinful. You will be without excuse today. Perhaps you are saying, I shouldn't have come to this service today. But this is the service that God wants you in. This is the service that God's got you viewing today. Because God is looking for people that will stand up and do something. Stand up. Stand up. Do something. Say something. Be involved. And on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, you and I should be involved in something of value. Even after Martin Luther King's home was bombed, you think if somebody bombed your house, you say, hey, that's enough. You got four little babies. You got a wife. You think that when somebody set a bomb in your house, you shut up. But all it did was make him stand up even more. He even... You know, believing God, trusting God seems in the natural to be putting you at risk. But here's what he did. He forbade even the people who were guarding this house to have guns. How are they going to protect Martin? He believed in something higher to protect him. This is why when it comes to this virus, that everybody, I, I believe in something higher than, my, than a mask and washing my hand to protect me. I believe in something higher than getting an uh, immunization shot to protect me. 
Now, I'm not saying be foolish. I'd never said don't wear a mask. Early on when they were advising that masks weren't necessary, I think all of us were questioning whether that's the right thing to do. I know that I repeated, um, you know, the CDC is saying you don't need to wear a mask. But eventually they find, found out, well, this thing is airborne and you need to have a mask on. But there's got to be something higher and bigger than a mask. Because I've heard people say that I wore a mask all the time, Pastor. I washed my hand five, six times a day, and I still got infected with COVID. How many of you know nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash all of that away? You've got to know where to put your hope in and put your trust in. And so Martin, after his home was, was bombed, he said, I'm just, I've got my trust in God. He told the people at the Pettus Bridge when they saw the horses coming and the dogs coming and the police coming with just rage in their eyes, he says, keep moving. Keep moving with faith. That what you're doing is right. And folks, there are times where you just got to keep moving with faith when you know what you're doing is right, when you know what you're doing is according to the word of God. God is with us in the struggle. God is with us in the trouble. God is with us in the trial. God is with us in the furnace. God is with us when we're in the water. God is with us. God is with you this morning. God is with you. And look, here's the thing. When you know what you're doing is right, you want everybody to, be, to come along with you. I mean, how many of you would agree? When you're doing what's right, wouldn't you like to have some people come along with you? But Martin Luther King did not have everybody that would come along with him. I'm going to speak of some, and some of you might even get agitated. But do you know Malcolm X, for example, mocked King. He mocked him. He said to him, to, uh, concerning Martin Luther King, he says, this is no revolution. Martin had time, talked about there's a revolution taking place, but it's going to be done peacefully. It's going to be done nonviolently. And so Malcolm X says, this is no revolution. Matt, this is what Malcolm X said concerning uh, Martin Luther King. He said, this is a begolution. And I quote, this is a begolution. Holding hands with white people and singing, we shall overcome, he said, is laughable. You don't do that in a revolution, according to Malcolm X. He said, you don't do any singing, you're too busy swinging. A brilliant, articulate man, but wrong. I'll take you to the Bible. There's a man named Peter. He came out swinging. You remember Jesus being taken at the garden? Temple guards have come there. Judas has kissed him on the cheek and said, this is the one, the one that I kiss on the cheek, he's the one. And they take him. What does, what does Peter do? He comes out swinging. And he's swinging a machete. And he chops off the ear of a man called Malchus. And Jesus, everybody say Jesus. I don't know whose voice you Lord to listen to, but I'm telling you the voice that you should be listening to is Jesus. I take nothing from Malcolm X in terms of his academic, his intelligence, his charismatic approach to speaking to people, but you're not going to win swinging. 
You're not going to win swinging. And Jesus told Peter on that day, he said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. How many of you think that the people who raided the Capitol or stormed the Capitol last week, they were winning? Nor do I. That's not winning. That's not winning. That will never win you victory. That will always, always cause you nothing but grief. Ask President Trump, how is his popularity right now? That will never win you a 2024 election. That will never overturn a fairly carried out election. You can't fall for the lies. You can't allow people to stir you up into a frenzy and think that you're going to win. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Live by love and find that love will melt a multitude of sin. Come on. Jesus himself said this to the multitude. He said, I could have called 10,000 angels. How many think you, your arm's big enough to box with an angel? One day I want to do teaching on the angel because I'm tired of people thinking that angels are these little, little fat butt babies with wings. You're going to see that in the few couple of days or weeks. You go into the store and all this little candy they're trying to sell you, Cupid. Man, every time you read the Bible and you're truly reading your Bible, you realize that the angels, they stand and hold the waters back. They're huge. Every now and then, I, I question people, say, Pastor, I saw an angel standing behind you. Man, the angel would have blew up this building if the angel came and stood. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I don't fall for a lot of things that people say all the time. Not when you're reading your Bible. Not when you're in the Word of God. And Jesus said, I could have called 10,000 of them, and they would have come swinging. But where would you and I be if the angels had come swinging? Only thing I want the angels to do is, according to what I see from the Word of God, swing low, sweet chariot, and carry me home. Carry me home. God has a place for us. God has a life for us. God has a life of service for his people. But he said that service, that labor, it's not in vain. A nonviolent Martin Luther King would tell his audience, he said, disarm the oppressor. Disarm the oppressor. And nonviolence is how you disarm an oppressor. It says it weakens their morale. It exposes their defenses, and at the same time, it works on their conscience. ABC interrupted a program that they were airing called The Judgment of Nuremberg to show the Pettus Bridge. And the whole world looked and saw the violence and the beating and the swinging. Bloody children, bloody moms, dads. Do you realize that 
just a week ago, that's what the world saw. And all of a sudden, the world's eyes were open and said, shame. Shame on you for doing something like this. Shame on you for instigating something like this. Shame on you. You may have had some people fooled. But shame on you because we see your true colors. How many of you know everything hidden will be revealed? That's what Martin Luther King was trying to help tell, tell people. He said, this is what Jesus did. They beat him. They, 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 they put a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him. They frailed him. They yelled at him. A thief on one side uh, on another cross, mocked him. And this is why old preachers used to say, and he never said a mumbling word. Before they ever take him to the cross, Jesus had been down in the dungeon of so-called religious leaders, plucking out his beard. I don't have much of a beard. I have more of a goatee, but I wouldn't want you to come up here and start plucking the hair out. But that's what they did to Jesus. Those of you who have gotten a better glimpse and a better understanding of what they meant and what Isaiah meant when they talked about having him suspended. Jesus was suspended, folks. Being held up by nothing but ropes that were cutting up under his arms. Blindfolded. People slapping him. And saying, you be the son of God, tell us who slapped you. Can you imagine being blindfolded and people walking up, slapping you, mocking you, saying, if you be the son of God, then tell us who slapped you. Yanking out your beard and saying, if you be the son of God, tell us who did that. Folks, I can't even count the amount of times that Martin Luther King went to jail. For just peacefully sitting somewhere. But peacefully asking to be to enter something or enter a building. And yet he didn't give up. He kept standing up and standing out. You know, many historians point to one a great example of the single moment that pushed that civil rights movement toward the critical mass of national support. And that was on that bridge. Eight days later, after Pettus Bridge, Lyndon Johnson, who was then president, submitted the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The rest is history. On August 28, 1963, when in excess of 200,000, perhaps 250,000 people gathered on the National Mall at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. In 1964, at the height of his influence, Martin Luther, became, Martin Luther King became Times Magazine's Man of the Year. Youngest man to ever do that. Youngest man to ever receive the Nobel Prize. First black man to ever be gracing the pages of that magazine. In 1968, 
King was working on a massive poor people's campaign in Washington. But he got a call from Memphis, Tennessee. Sanitation workers were on strike and asking to be paid fairly for all of the work, dirty work, that they were doing. I don't think people understood it in, uh, at that day. I think recently, not so recently, but uh, a few decades ago in Philadelphia. You remember the Philadelphia sanitation workers decided we're not going to pick up the garbage. Thus, Philadelphia got the slang name. Not only was it Philadelphia, they call it Filthy Delphia. How many of you know what it would smell like in your house that the sanitation workers don't come and pick up the garbage? So Martin went down to Memphis to help the sanitation workers. He left that effort and that campaign for the Poor People's March. And in an impassioned appeal to the audience to continue to work the movement that he begun, King addressed and conducted on a quite unusual note that night. And he would say, and I would quote, We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do the will of God. He allowed me Go up to the mountaintop, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land, and I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And then the next morning came. A man named James Earl Ray shot and killed a 39-year-old preacher as he stood on the second floor of the balcony of a Memphis Lorraine motel. Martin Luther King died leaving a legacy of faith, courage, and much unfinished business. Jesus, we do a comparison, went into the temple. He began to overturn some things, throw out some things, and declare, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And he said, out of apathy and out of greediness, you have made it a, a den of thieves. I believe that God is speaking again to a nation and saying, where is my house? Where is my house? And my house shall be called house of prayer. I believe that Martin went into that temple that night to help people to realize you've got to be looking at what God is showing now. And this is why he could say, I've seen some things on the other side. He took me up to the mountaintop. How many of you know God will take you to some mountaintops? He took Moses to a mountaintop. He took even some of his disciples, Jesus, up to the mountaintop. And God wants to take more people to a mountaintop. You got to be a person who will stand up and start speaking out and start getting into the presence of God.
It's got to be more than your children writing a report on Martin Luther King. It's got to be more than our little girls marching down in little short skirts, twisting around in parades. We got to start talking about what Martin was saying. I just want to do the will of God. We want to be talking to our sons and our daughters about doing the will of God now. If our eyes have seen the glory and the coming of the Lord, we are talking to the next generation about their readiness, about their preparedness. Because any day, any day, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will come or perhaps we will go. It's real important, folks. I say to you today, my friends, even though we face, face difficulties, today, tomorrow, Inauguration Day, We should have a dream, too. We should have a dream. Martin would say, I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. But all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four children, Martin would say, will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today, I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with this vicious racist, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hand with little black bo white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. And let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that. Let freedom ring from stone mountains of Georgia. Let freedom ring from the lookout mountain of Tennessee and let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children 
black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestant and Catholic, will be able to join hand and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I'm encouraging you this morning to break the silence and stay the course for freedom and liberty for all. You got to address why racial bigotry was wrong, is wrong, and will always be wrong. Biblical Christianity is clear. Racial bigotry and injustice is contrary to the will of God. The teachings that I teach and others have taught of Jesus and the mission of the church to take the love of Jesus Christ as far and as fast as possible into the uttermost parts of the earth. Unfortunately, there are Christians who have not always practiced what they preached. The heritage of racial bigotry is a stain on the gospel that has brought generations of shame upon the cause of Christ. May we not bring shame to the cross by embracing anything that promotes bigotry. There are four things for me, and I'll finish and close with this. Creation speaks about God's heart for all mankind. You can see that as it's kind of spelled out in Acts chapter 17. Read down through verse 31, and you'll find God loves all people. God is calling for all mankind to be in his service. Redemption is one of those other points. Creation, redemption. Romans 1 and 16, probably down through verse 17. You can never be ashamed of the gospel. The Bible says the redeemed of the Lord, they do what? They say so. They stand up. They speak out. And perhaps a third thing that I see is a proclamation. Creation, redemption, a proclamation. Matthew 28, verse 18, perhaps down to verse 20. You have authority. Jesus came down and proclaimed something to the believers. He said, you have authority. You have authority. You have what is we know as delegated authority, but you now have authority. Use your authority. Stand up. Speak up. Pray without ceasing. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. John 17, perhaps in verses 20 through 21. Ephesians 3 and 10. Perhaps even down to verse 11. Helping us to see there are things that you have to proclaim. You cannot be silent. You should not be silent. 
And then finally, resurrection. Creation. Redeemed people saying what God has said. A proclamation. Because you want to get to this place of understanding the significance. You want other people to get to this place of understanding the significance of the resurrection. Jesus has not come and died so that we could glorify ourselves, but that we might glorify him. Jesus has not come so that you would put a foot of oppression on another human being, but lend a hand to lift him up and to lift him out so that they could be translated out of any darkness over into the marvelous light. Some people ask me, he says, you know, the inauguration is going on Wednesday. You normally do Bible study on Wednesday. Still doing it. Still doing it. 12 noon, 7.30, still doing Bible study because we need it. I need that more than I need a Biden speech. I need that more than I'm going to just watch and see what's going to happen. I'm going to get my eyes on Jesus. And I would suggest that you do the same. Are you going to pray? Yes, I'm going to pray without ceasing. Monday, the observance of Martin Luther King, find somewhere. Go somewhere and serve. See, Miss Pat, if you're looking for a place to serve, she's got a lot of tasks. You take some of the burden off of me if you do. But it's a place that you can serve. It doesn't have to be here. They're not the only exclusive. But you ought to serve somewhere. If you truly honor what this man, Martin Luther King Jr. did, and if you truly honor what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, you'll serve. You'll serve. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. You at home, you're here in the audience. I want you to bow your head. I want you to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. We read in the beginning in the Scriptures from the book of Revelation, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Let's not allow ourselves to get into apathy. Let's not allow ourselves to turn from our first love. When you love God, he says you love people. The scripture says, it is hypocritical for me, you, or anyone to say that they love God whom they have not seen, not been able to touch. And yet, when you have the ability to see people, God's creation, God's creation, and have the ability to help and to serve, and you don't, God says, that's a hypocritical thing for you to be saying, I love God. But to love God is to love people. But it starts, and everything starts with God. Everything begins with God. For those of you who are watching, those of you who are listening, if you haven't started with God, 
by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's where it starts. That's where it had to start for Martin Luther King. He had to get beyond what he thought church was. And it became a personal, intimate, and eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Wasn't a perfect man. But he saw the perfect plan of God. He saw what love could do. He saw what nonviolence could do. He saw what inspiration comes when you meditate in God's word day and night. Made his way prosperous. And we would all say he had good success. And we are all blessed because of that success. But the greatest blessing did not come from Martin Luther King Jr. Your greatest blessing came in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Make him Lord and Savior of your life. Honor Dr. King. But give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. I'll pray for you. If you're there and this is an opportunity for you to accept Jesus, I want you to just stretch your hands out. If you're watching me, if you're listening to me, stretch your hands out and just say, Father, I received this morning. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord. I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I received the direction and the correction that he's making to my life. And I repent. I repent of anything I've said or done. I cannot go back and change one iota of yesterday. But today and in the days ahead, I give myself to you so that you can use me, Lord. And so this day, Father God, I thank you for a total surrender as we bless the Lord. All that's in us, we bless his holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website, at rainbowfamilychristian.org.